Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. The Bible reading is today is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 to 18. Romans, chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. Um, when I finish reading, I would say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, at first it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Owadi. May the word of the Lord not fall <laughs> from your mouth. All right, morning, everybody. All right, good morning. Welcome, welcome, one, welcome all. Special welcome to those who are with us uh, for the first time, and maybe those who have not been here in a while. I think I can spot one or two faces of people who traveled and had not seen them in a in a while. So welcome, um, but. You know, uh, as some of you know, this what this uh, pastoring. My name is Femi, by the way. Pastoring is is what I do. That's what I do, and I'm sure a lot of you understand this. That the more you spend time in a particular profession, right, the more you appreciate those who have done well and have gone ahead of you. Am I speaking to someone? Right, because sometimes people just think, "What is it that you are doing?" And you're like, huh. uh, "Somebody else understands." And so I do want to acknowledge that there are some people who are here that have gone ahead of me, way ahead of me, and I want to acknowledge their presence. So today we have worshiping with us uh, Reverend and Pastor Mrs. 
Adedayo Oset, all the way from Champions. Wait, now let me finish. You know what? All the way from Champions Church in Eloran. And if, any, if anybody knows anything about us in this church, we love Eloran. Don't we? We love Eloran. I town. I sorry, I city. Uh, Right, thank you very much, Ma. Thank you very much sir, for coming. Uh, Mommy has been with us before, but uh, Daddy, this is first time coming here. We thank you very much. If the name sounded familiar, Adedayo Oset, right, you know that we have a, a, an Adedayo Oset here too, an Emmanuel Adedayo Oset. In fact, he is actually Emmanuel Oset as well. So the Emmanuel Oset that comes and preaches here is Junior. <laughs> yeah? You end your own stripes. Well, welcome, sir. Welcome, ma. Um, but secondly, you know, and this one is even really personal to me as well, is um, we also have all the way from Abuja as well, right? Somebody who has been a minister for a long time, I'll get into that, but also happens to be my father-in-law as well. My father-in-law and my mother-in-law are here all the way from uh, the House Fellowship in Abuja. They've been ministering there for such a long time. Can we welcome Elder and Mrs. Kola Adegoke as well. I would like to say, I would like to say to them, thank you for joining us, but I think more importantly, thank you for giving your daughter to me. Uh, the, the evidence, you know, we sing that song, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. <laughs> you can see the evidence of Tosin's goodness all over my life. Woo. Yeah, so, but we, we thank God. We thank, thank you for, for joining us. You know, I'm sure some of you are wondering, combined, I was thinking about it this week, combined, that's about 85 years of ministry. Not of in age, 85 years. People that have been preaching this long. And some of you are saying, hey, Pastor, you go preach today now. Uh, let's see. Now you now know how it is that for some of us, when we, are, we catch state fright, uh, I'm sure this, uh, this will be difficult for you. I remember once Charles Spurgeon, an old British preacher, he was late to go and preach somewhere because the railway, uh, there was uh, a delay in the railway, but his grandfather was there. So by the time he got to the service, service had started, and his grandfather, he heard somebody was preaching. He eventually found that it was his grandfather that was preaching. So event, grandfather eventually said, oh yeah, Charles, come up. Because, I mean, it was the famous Charles Spurgeon at the time. But he now said something before Charles came up. He said, now, he said, Charles can preach a better sermon than me. He can preach a better gospel. He can preach the gospel better than me, but he can never preach the, uh, a better gospel than me. Let me say it again. He said, Charles can preach the gospel better than me, but he can never preach a better gospel than me. So for all my haters in this place, <laughs> it's true they have been in ministry longer than me, and they've been faithfully preaching the gospel, and maybe they, and they've been preaching the gospel better than me, but they can't preach a better gospel than I have. Amen? Amen. All right. Yes, we just have to clear that out of the way. Because the thing I know is that in this church, some of you, you just like to laugh at me. I don't understand. I've tried to be a loving pastor, a caring pastor, but any, any small misfortune that you see, any kind of embarrassment that bring you, just start laughing. So I was thinking about that. I said, you know what? Let me just indulge them. I indulge you with talking about my primary school grades. 
You know, primary school. Ah, primary school. Primary school. In primary school, my grades were, my grades were, I was usually, I was usually around the top or near the top. God catch all of you. You were waiting for me to say I was at the bottom. I've been, no, I was a brilliant boy. I, math, I was one, I was, in fact, math, I was the best. Uh, social studies, uh, comprehension, dictation. I was acing all of them. I was always near the top or the top. No lie. Except one subject. And I knew that's the one you were waiting for. Just one subject. English. In, in, yeah, you know you can't try me on that one. No, what was the subject? CRP. It, uh, CRP. <laughs> when when Alpha is telling you that you are bad in CRK, you know you're a problem. No, it was finance. It was finance. I was bad. Like when I say I was bad, I was miserably bad in finance. You see, in all the other subjects, I was always scoring late 80s and above. That was my lowest score was always late 80s and above. But in fine arts, I was always in the 30s. I was always scoring F, 30s, 30s, 30s. Now, at that point, I had a Brazilian uh, um, um, uh, fine arts teacher, one Mrs. Adela, my day, a Nigerian. And um, she just used to look at me with this sort of hopeless look, like this, you're just a waste. Why are you here? Little did she know, though, little did she know that later in life that I will be a pro when it comes to painting. No, I'm not joking. I mean, there's evidence, there's evidence for, for, for it. Just if you look at, um, yeah, it was a little bit of abstract impressionism. Um, so what you can't, you can't understand. What you can't understand, let me explain it. That is, is an abstract representation of of the mind of someone that is depressed. Yeah, yeah, there's you, but you can't understand. So Ms. Adilaja, Ms. Adilaja, she, if she'd known, she would have invested in me. And I cannot say, the, uh, you can take it off now because they are, they are too impressed. It's overwhelming some people, I can see. If Ms. Adilaja knew, she would not have spoken or behaved in the same way. But I gave her hints. Okay, I gave her one hint. You see, in primary four, Second term, something happened. I don't know what happened, but it seems like all of my mother's prayers just aligned in one moment in my primary four final exam. In fact, the spirit of excellence, the spirit of Bezalel came upon me. I don't know, for one moment, all the principles of fine art, I learned all of them. One moment, I just painted something. When my result came out, I was waiting for the result because I knew I had done something. When it came out my, in my report, I scored 92. Ninety-two. Miss Adelaide's comment. I have never. I don't remember any comment of anything I received in the whole of my primary school. Whatever. But I will never forget two words: remarkable improvements. I think now I think about it. I think she was suspecting some mago mago inside, and uh, she would say that she was justified in her suspicions because by the next time I was back to the thirties. <laughs> and why did that happen? Because it is possible to temporarily demonstrate what you don't permanently possess. You see, I didn't possess the gift of fine art, but I once, once, 
fortuitously demonstrated expertise in it by keeping all its rules. In the same way, it's possible to demonstrate obedience to God's commands while not permanently possessing what those commandments are pointing to. That's what Paul says in, in, in chapter 13, verse 9 and 10. Look at it again. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, all of those things are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love does no harm toward your neighbor. It is possible to temporarily demonstrate love whilst not possessing it because you kept all the commandments. How many of you have been in a conversation where you are talking with somebody and you know the person wasn't there? The person wasn't there with you. Because how do you know the person wasn't there? The person was looking at you, but you could see the person's eyes. They were going somewhere else. And you confront the person. You're not here with me. And you tell them, and they say, oh, no, I was here with you. How many of us know that kind of thing? I once had somebody like that work for me. I won't leave names, but I'm thankful that Dami eventually left. <laughs> and the evidence is by this. You cracked a joke, and you know this joke was funny. Or you dropped some breaking news, and the person said, yup. Or the person is just nodding, and you'd be like, you are not here with me. But you know, it's possible, the person, you, you tell them, and they insist they were there with you. Why are they doing that? Because it is possible to claim to possess what you insufficiently are able to demonstrate. You can claim to possess something, but you are insufficient in how you demonstrate it. They claim to possess attentiveness, to you, but didn't sufficiently demonstrate it. And in the same way, it's possible to claim to possess love with your words and not sufficiently demonstrate it with your actions. 1 John 3, verse 16, 17 and 18 puts it this way. Dear children, let us not, verse 18, yes. Dear children, let us not love with words and speech, but with what? Actions and in truth. He says with actions and in truth. In other words, when he says in truth, he's saying love in truth. What John says, love in truth, Paul in 12 verse 9 says, let love be sincere. John says, let love, love in truth. Paul says, let love be sincere. What say you? And that's why one of the instructions that Paul gives in Romans chapter 12 it demonstrates it very well, doesn't it? In verse 10, it says, be devoted to one another. That is demonstration. He says, in love, that is possession. Be devoted to one another, demonstrate in love. God calls us to demonstrate what we possess. But I don't want you to miss out something there. He says, be devoted to what? one another. The one another is so important because many times, even if you go to the Ten Commandments, we often think about these commandments in abstractions. We think about it as don't steal, don't kill, don't lie, or don't bear false witness. But actually, the, the second half from Commandment uh, 5 to 10, the second half, they were commandments that were relational. They were about how the community was meant to function, the society of Israel. 
So if you take the final commandment, verses nine, uh, 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 commandment nine and ten, it's not just don't bear false witness. Not uh, 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 Exodus twenty, verse. Uh -huh. It's not just don't bear false witness. It is you shall not give false testimony against what? Neighbor. The last one is not just do not covet. That's an abstraction. But don't do what? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That is why all of them could be summed up with this commandment to do what? Love your neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of all the commandments. It was love that was meant to keep the old Israel together as a society so that God could accomplish his purposes through them. And if it was sufficient for the old Israel, then it is sufficient for the church, the new Israel. Love is the thing that will hold us together, that will keep us strong, and therefore able to accomplish the vision and the mission that God has given us. City Church. Last week, we spoke about our mission and vision and how that, that comes into our value to love Lagos. We cannot be a church that is loving the city first if we are not loving one another. Are we together? The strength that God will give to us is how much we are united in love. If we do that, then we have a chance of accomplishing what God has told us to do. Because it's very simple. If we love one another, we'll remain strong together. If we remain strong together, we'll accomplish our vision together. Let love be sincere among you. Amen. It may be hard. It may be messy. But I can promise you this, it is absolutely rewarding. And so at the end of this sermon, I pray that we will be enlightened, equipped, and empowered to build this church, not just in love, but in possessing and demonstrating sincere love. So with that, I want to look at this sermon <laughs> under three points. <laughs> Possessing love, demonstrating love, and everlasting love. Possessing love, demonstrating love, everlasting love. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and redeemer of your people, come before us now. Let your presence fall. Holy Spirit, we know you have been with us already through this meeting. But we ask for an intensity of your presence as the word of Christ is being declared. Father, we pray, O oh God, that you arrest our minds. We pray, O oh Lord, that you arrest my tongue. Father, let me speak as an oracle of the Lord. Let your people hear the word of the Lord and let us be never the same again. Father, I pray that at the end of this sermon, let love be in this church. Father, I pray, O oh God, that you will break the hardness of anyone here who is resisting your love and will be able to demonstrate it among us. Build us, O oh God, together as a church that cannot be broken because your love, your sincere love is among us. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, so let's start with the first one, possessing love. I was thinking about my parenting. And I felt I should give myself a grade. And when I was thinking about grading myself, I thought, you know what? And I'm a fair judge. I'm fair. I'm not partial. I said, my parenting, the result is mixed. It's mixed. I can't say it's too high. I can't say it's too low. And it's one simple thing I can think about. Why? My first son, Tofumi, who is 10 today, by the way. Right? Yes. Wonderful. 
Tofumi, Tofumi is the maverick. He opposes me in almost everything. He doesn't agree. But Tofumi supports Arsenal, who I support. Amen. Amen. Timmy Lane, my six-year-old, who hardly opposes me in everything. He's the congenial one. My son, Tofumi is his, mother, is his mother's son, right? Timmy Lane, he supports Manchester United. The one team I dislike. Ulum, they stay away from my son. <laughs> Manchester United fans all around. But you see, it's a family affair because my older sister actually supports Manchester United, so she was recently very happy to hear that Timmy is following in her footsteps. I really dislike that club. I don't know why anybody will follow them. But you know, my brother-in-law, her husband, follows another club which I used to dislike a lot, but I don't dislike as much now. They're another red club. They're called Liverpool. And the reason it's hard for me to dislike them is because they have an absolutely brilliant manager. His name is Jürgen Klopp. Jürgen Klopp, very brilliant guy. Now, for those of us that wouldn't watch football, let me just explain a few things, right? What is the aim of football? The aim of football is score more goals than they score, than, they, than you concede, right? Score more goals than you concede. You can concede 22 goals, just score 23. All right, that's, that's the aim of football. But to do that, you need a manager, and a manager brings about strategy. And why I say that Jürgen Klopp is brilliant is because he has a particular philosophy, football philosophy, that form, informs all his strategies. You know what that philosophy is called? It's called gegen pressing. Gegen pressing. What is the, what is the sum total of gegen pressing? It's very simple. Allow your opponents to make mistakes at the place they are most vulnerable. Allow your opponents to make mistakes at the place they are most vulnerable. Where are they most vulnerable? In their defense. Why? In their defense, because if they make mistakes in their defense, what will happen? You are most likely to score. Are we together? Right? You are most likely to score. So the idea is enable your opponents to make mistakes in the place they are most vulnerable in their defense. So how does he go about it? He gets his players to, they call it press, that's gagging pressing, but we will call it rush, rush. Rush. So once the people in their defense are playing the ball in defense, all the attackers, they just, and midfielders, they just start pressing. They just start pressing. Eventually, you are forced to a mistake. When you are forced into a mistake, then one of their players, uh, his players, then gets the ball, they are very close to your goal, they score. Do you, do, do you understand? So it's a brilliant strategy. And for him to do it, though, because it's very difficult to execute, what does he do? What does he need? He needs players, unique players. Those players must be absolutely rugged and fit. And so many times, the people, when he came into Liverpool, they were absolutely skilled players. One of them, a Brazilian called Philippe Coutinho. He shipped him out. Why? As skillful as he was, the guy was not physically fit. He did not prepare himself. So the ones that could not take the training, he eventually shipped them out. The ones that could take the training, they stayed. And what do you think the result was after a number of years? Glory. They were winning. They won trophies. They won Champions League. They won the Premier League. They were winning. Essentially, what, is, what am I saying? In order to execute a brilliant strategy, you need individual preparation. But it is worth it. Why? Because the result is reward. Are you following? To execute a brilliant strategy, you need individual preparation. But it is worth it. Why? Because it comes with rewards. 
When you look at what Paul is saying in the verses that we read, let me not lie to you, they are hard. But it's a brilliant strategy. Why do you say it's a brilliant strategy? Because what is the thing that the devil fears the most? Should I tell you? Should I tell you what the devil fears the most? The devil does not, is not scared of one isolated man of God preaching in one place, one isolated woman of God driving out demons and all of that. No, because he, look, if he has that, it's very good. Why? Because then all the believers, the 99% of the believers, they are not doing anything. He can keep bashing them. The devil is scared of united churches up and down the place. Are we following? He is scared of the unity of churches. Look, if you want a football team to, to Pafuka, totally bad results, the one thing you have to do is just get them disunited. Can we pray for Manchester disunited? Actually, it's even happening. The more united you are, the more you're able to accomplish the mission. And so the strategy here, when it says, let love be sincere among you, it is, may you be united. Why? Because God has called us, not me. God has called us to accomplish a purpose. And so he says, this is the strategy. Let uniting love be sincere among you. Now, let us go ahead and do it. Ah, but it's hard. Why is it hard? Because all the instructions that Paul gave are hinged on the next thing he says, after love must be sincere among you. You know what he says? Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. He said, that's simple. Yes, it is simple, but our tendency is to do the opposite. Our natural tendency is to do the opposite. And I'm going to show us how. But the first thing I want us to see is this. We need individual preparation. We need what? Individual preparation. Turn to your neighbor and say, we need individual preparation. Before we can execute on this thing, or before we can obtain the rewards, we need individual preparation. How are we going to prepare? We're going to prepare in two ways. In our thinking and with our energy. In our thinking and with our energy. First one, thinking. We have to think differently. And by thinking differently, he wants us to do just one thing. Slay individualism, not individuality. Slay individualism, not individuality. What is the difference between them? Individuality is good. It's about expressing who God has uniquely made you. But what then is individualism? It is when you crown and enthrone yourself above any other thing. When you crown and enthrone yourself above any other thing. It is not about thinking more of yourself. It is about thinking of yourself more than any other thing. Are we together? It is about self-centeredness. They say, but that's not me. You know, if I decide, let us all take a picture, good picture, church today, right? And we put it on Instagram. Some of you here are going to say, wonderful picture. Oh, look at it. Some of you say, please, they should not share it. This picture is not good. Why? Because you weren't looking good in the picture. Self-centeredness is inside us. There's a confession we have there that Dami wrote. It says, Foolishness is worrying us. I like that one. Self-centeredness is built into us. We look for ourselves in the picture first. And we determine whether it is good or bad based on how we look. This is what is called pride. That's why it says in, later in verse, it says, don't be proud. Uh, uh, do, um, uh, 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 do not be, uh, don't be proud. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. The old King James word for conceited is vain glory. You glory in emptiness. 
You see, let me tell you, the natural tendency of our human heart is what? It is to love ourselves above our neighbors, not to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so you see Paul coming at the root of the greatest disease against communal love, which is individualism. And it expresses itself both in the superior and the inferior. The superior, we know that one. That's why it says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. So you think, because you've achieved intellectually, you've achieved in terms of your socioeconomic status, what happens is you are now the kind of person, if you are self-centered from a superior standpoint, you boast a lot. You always let us know. Ah, that contract that I just signed the other day, ah, my God, you think, it was a small contract of just 250 million. But, you know, economy is tough these days. Oh, where have you been? Ah, sorry, I was on the mountain. There were 18 demons that I had to deal with in my family. I just come back and I spent about 20 days fasting. I'm going to eat for three days now, then I'm going to start another 15 days. You know, when you talk like that, people start to draw back. It's repulsive behavior. So people start moving away from you. What is community about? It is about us coming together. But our pride starts to separate us. And in the spaces that are there, the enemy comes in and he further divides us. But before you think about those who are arrogant, also there is the inferior way. The inferior people are the ones that are always talking about their misfortune in life. If only my father was, you know, not a gate man, I wouldn't be like this. If only that sister Agatha didn't come, I would have been married to that guy. <laughs> I hope there's nobody with second name Agatha. Yeah. Strange woman, eh? You talk about you talk about your suffering. You talk about how eh, nobody loves me in this church. Nobody, this church, we just don't like ourselves. Nobody gives. Everybody, or you talk about how oh the preaching is always targeted at me. Is this this this? After a while, when you talk like that, what do people do? You see, you are conceited and you are proud, but you are expressing it, how? In an inferior way. But the essence of pride is the same. It is always about self-absorption. That is individualism. That destroys community. And because of that, Paul is saying, think differently. Turn to your neighbor and say, think differently. We must prepare to think differently. Are you the kind of person that is constantly reveling in the donations you made to the church? Think differently. Are you the kind of person who thinks, ah, I can't fit into community because nobody will understand me? You know what? Think differently. Are you the kind of person that constantly is feeling that the leader's decisions are bad because you weren't consulted? Do what? Think differently. Think differently. We must hate the evil of individualism. And then what must we do? We must cling to the good of what? Verse 12, uh, 10. Honor one another above yourself. Above yourself. Too many of us want to do church on our own terms. I'll come to church, but it's going to be on my own terms. That's individualism. And saying, no, when you do that, you are putting yourself above others. He says, no, what? Honor others above yourself. So, for instance, that means... Think more about how your attitude affects others above how you think they make you feel. Honor others above yourself. 
Think more about praying for others above the fact that you think they didn't pray for you or that you have unanswered prayers. Honor others above yourself. Think more about how your attendance encourages others, not above how you think eh, it's inconvenient for me and I just couldn't get myself ready. Honor others above yourself. When we honor others above ourselves, we put a death blow to individualism and then we create the opportunity for us to express our individuality in community. Amen? Community is not there to kill your individuality, but it should kill individualism. Think differently. Now, we prepare in our thinking, but we must also prepare in our energy. You see, because the tactic I just told you about the philosophy, Gagin pressing, there is the philosophy, the thinking, but in order for you to execute, Remember we said you have to be physically fit. See here. In verse 11, it says, serving the Lord. We must serve the Lord. And by that, it means serve the Lord by serving the Lord's people. Right? Remember Jesus said, Peter, Peter so, 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 why do you persecute me? He was persecuting him. He said, how am I persecuting you? You are persecuting my people. So when he says serve the Lord, it's serving the Lord by serving the Lord's people. If you've been in church for a while, you'll know that serving the Lord's people is not easy. It's not easy. And if you are low on emotional and spiritual energy, you will eventually hate community because you'll feel like it's always constantly taken away from you. That is why we cannot serve the Lord and the Lord's people when we lack in zeal and we lack in spiritual fervor. Never lacking in zeal but keeping your spiritual fervor. How, that's how you would serve the Lord. Before I came up, the King Femi was telling me, ah, we need King James. He said, don't be slothful in business. <laughs> I don't know how many sermons you heard. When they said, don't be slothful in business, so we now started the business seminar. <laughs> it's like, no, it wasn't that kind of business we were talking about. But we cannot lack in our emotional and spiritual energy. He says, don't lack in zeal and spiritual fervor. So what then should I do? Fill up your tank. Fill up your emotional and fill up your spiritual tank. And to which you say, how? Because this thing is more complicated than you're talking about. It is true that I am being drained by people's requests and people's demands here and there in church. It drains me, but I even have more things to drain me. That is the communal one. But personally, I have afflictions all around. Afflictions. At my workplace, I'm being afflicted. In my physical body, I'm being afflicted. For some of us, it's our mental health, we are being afflicted. We are afflicted all over the place. So church is draining me. I am personally afflicted. How am I going to fill up my spiritual energy? Can you give me a solution? I'm glad you asked because the solution is this. Faithful prayer in joyful hope. Faithful prayer in joyful hope. Be joyful in hope, faithful in prayer. What does he mean? Let me explain. You see, we have to be careful with our afflictions. Now, if we all had the chance, we would not be afflicted. But afflictions are a part of life, right? But if it's how we read our afflictions. I remember during when COVID first hit, right, that one of the things was how much people binged on all the bad news. And I remember the first couple of days I was watching, I just said, ah, Omo, this thing is creating something inside me. I cut everything off. 
I will read, I, I was going to certain websites, I will get my small information, is this what I need to know, update, and then after I'm not listening to anything. And I remember people calling, and I remember someone once calling, and she was just like, it's almost like it's the end of the world. Why is God not doing something? Why is God not doing anything? And I stopped her. And I said, you need to stop feeding on those things. You know why? Because whilst we are meant to be discipled by the word of God, and we read what is going on around us, you are now being discipled by the bad news that is outside there. In other words, your reality has started being shifted. And let me tell you something about afflictions. They always draw us in. There is the pain that you feel from the affliction, but there is the way the affliction starts to change your reality. Because you look at the bad things that are happening, you start to ingest it into yourself. And so more and more, as you focus on your afflictions, as you focus on all the things that are going on around you that is bad, you know what happens? You start to think that affliction is your reality. More and more, you just think, I am defined by this affliction. I am following this affliction. This affliction actually is who I am. So what is prayer all about? Prayer is where you press the reality reset button. You see, in prayer, what do you do? You go and you see God. In prayer, you are brought before the presence of not just the one who can defeat the coronavirus, but the one who created the world where the coronavirus is in. All of a sudden, you are brought before the maker of heaven and earth. But not just that, you are brought before the, the deliverer and the redeemer of his own people. You start to see God in his light. You start to see God in his holiness. You look at the affliction. You look at God, you look at the affliction. You look at his bigness, you look at the affliction's smallness. You look at his greatness, you look at the affliction's temporariness. And then all of a sudden, it hits you. This affliction, if it was not the author of my story, it would not be the finisher of my story. This affliction, even though it has I've started with it, it, it's not bringing an end to all the things I am. You start to remember that this God that I see, he is the author and the finisher of my faith. I came to tell somebody here this morning that God that has started the things that he has done in you, he is not finished with you. Listen, God is writing your story. And even though he has written affliction in the middle pages, he has already typed the ending chapters and he ends in your full deliverance. Why? Because many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them for what? All of them. Affliction should not define you. But you go in the place of faithful prayer when you meditate on the hope that God has given us. All of a sudden something happens. Paul says it in a better way in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9. Paul, you thought you were afflicted. Paul said, I had an affliction in, in such a way that it was as though I had received a sentence of death. But he said, this happened. A new way of thinking. Not just moping around. He had a different way of thinking. He said, this happened that we may, we might not rely what? Oh my God. Oh, God is delivering somebody from, 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 from depending on themselves and individualism. He said, so that we will not what? Depend on ourselves or rely on ourselves, but on who? God that does what? Raises the dead. That is the end of our story. That one day, one day, the voice of the Son of God shall sing and shall shout. And those who are in the graves, they shall rise again. I say God has written the end of our story and it ends in our full deliverance. But he goes further because you say, oh, but that is the final end. On account of the fact that he has given us this permanent end, we now remember that he has delivered us before from such a great peril, and he will yet deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue what? 
He delivered us before. He will deliver us in the future. And he will deliver us even right now. Can I get an amen here? And how will he do it? As you help us by what? Prayers. So it is not just what you individually do in prayer, but also what we communally do. When we get into the place of prayer, when we joyfully meditate on the hope of God, all of a sudden, do you know what it does? Emotional and spiritual energy is being supplied to us. So the next time you look at your affliction, do you know how you react? With patience. Go back to that. He says, he says what? Be, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful what? In prayer. When we have this right thinking and we have this supply of energy, now we are prepared. And we are prepared to participate in something absolutely beautiful. That takes me to my second point. Demonstrating love. Demonstrating love. Why is community hard? Why do you often think that community is hard? If you ask some people, they will tell you it's because of one word, difference. I, your people are looking at Elijah. No, it's not third point. It's second point. Don't worry. <laughs> I have not finished yet. Yeah? I must end, end my, my prayer. Remember, I said there are, there are some people that are assessing me today. <laughs> no, but why is community hard? One word, difference. People say it's just so hard because... We are all different. That's why when you come to the church, we are different ages. Different forms of education, education levels. Different genders. Even though we are all Christians, we have different beliefs in our Christianity. Different socioeconomic status. You see all these differences make some of us just come to one point. You know what we just say? Well, it is easier to live and to do life on my own. Because once people start getting into your business, it becomes complicated. I, don't, I want to do life on my own. And yet, I've been doing this thing for small, for a little bit of time. I've seen one thing. I have never met a lonely person that is happy. You retreat because of some of the issues. It's true, there are issues. The answer is never to retreat into loneliness. Loneliness is the number one, uh, is the number one marker that is correlated with depression. Loneliness. But you see, it's hard, though, to do it when we are different. But Paul seems to think otherwise. Because Paul, in verse 16, says, live in harmony with one another. Ah. Don't know this difference. Why does Paul say that? Perhaps I may illustrate with this. Back to my education. Some of you may not believe this, but I studied music. I once studied music. I studied music in Muson at Muson, right? Muson. I studied it. I was a good student. Some of you may not know Mr. Uh, but the people that know music, they know eh? She was my teacher. I am an, an honorable member of the 1998 dropout set. <laughs> I dropped out. I dropped out. I don't know if there's somebody here who has ever dropped out or anything. I am a witness and testimony to say that is not the end of your story. I still made something of it. But I need to prove to you guys, I want to prove to my parents that all the money that they spent on me was not wasted. 
It's not, we, no, it's not about singing. Don't worry. The singing, I, I, I don't want to overwhelm you people. Maybe I can illustrate the point. I want to illustrate the point with some of the, the music staff. All right? Yes, yeah, let's, see, let's, let's hope this will work. And Elijah is here, right? You see, the thing about music is this. Fundamentally, in the way we have the alphabet, we have uh, letters of the alphabet. But with music, we have fundamental sounds. There are seven fundamental sounds that we know, right? Now, we can, we can denote those sounds with the letters A, B, C, D, G, all right? But those fundamental sounds are, what sound of music? Let's start from the very beginning. Do, re, mi. So at that last do, you have come back to the beginning, but it's seven, all right? It's seven of them. Now, it will always sound like that, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, but... Depending on where you start from in terms of the letters, it may sound differently. That is, if your do starts at letter C and your do starts at letter G, it will be different. If your do starts at letter C, your re will be letter D, your mi will be letter... Do we understand that? But if it is... Eh, what, eh, what happened? You don't get it. C-D-E. Some of you will have dropped out of preliminary and you're laughing at me. C, D, E, do, re, mi is even there on the skinny. If it was on G, if you started at G, your G, your G will be do, A, wait, hold on. Right? G, A, B, right? Can we see it? Okay, now, let me show you how it will sound differently. Because this is what we call scales. If you started your C, if you start your do at C, it's a C scale. If you start your do at G, it is a G scale. Now listen to C scale. Now G scale. Are we together? Do we see the difference? I, I, don't, we don't see it. Do we hear the difference? <laughs> you know, Nigeria, we see everything. <laughs> so we hear difference. So there are different scales. Now, what if I took the G scale? And on the G scale, I just want three notes. I want the first, the third, and the fifth. The first, the third, and the fifth. That's do, me, and so, right? That would be G, B, D, right? G, B, D. Now, I want them to, let's say, a wonderful, beautiful, yeah, sorry, and handsome, um, uh, musicians, right? What if they were able to sing just those three notes? I want them to sing those three notes one by one. So, let's start. Well, you have to sing it again, because we didn't hear well in that mind. Okay, that's right. Can you sing B, me? Can you sing D? Ooh. Wonderful, isn't it? Eh? Please, it's wonderful. We pay them a lot. Now, what has happened there? It's wonderful, it's nice, but it's not that special. Because all it just shows is that they are able to sing the same note. Three of them sang the same note, and so it was sameness. It was a uniformity of singing. But what if those same three notes were sung together? 
Because those three notes are not the same sound. They could bring about some kind of noise. Or maybe if we chose those three notes specifically because they were intentionally spaced and we decided to sing together, maybe something else could be produced. What was that? Let me tell you what was that. It was what? A harmony. It was what? A harmony. Whenever you take musical notes, different musical notes, intentionally spaced, but on the same scale, when you sing them together, they harmonize to produce a sound that is much more than the sum of the parts. It produces a new sound. It is called a chord. And what they just produced for us was a new sound, a sweet sound in the G scale. Yes, it was a G, it was a B, it was a D. But when they came together, it wasn't just G plus B plus D. It was that they produced a new sound. You see, when they sang the same notes, three of them, it was uniformity. But when they sang the three different notes together, it was unity. When they sang the same notes together, it was sameness. But when they sang three different notes together in harmony, it was what? Oneness. When Paul says that we should live in harmony together, Paul is not saying that we should be uniform. Paul is saying he, predisposes, he presupposes that we are going to be what? Different. But he's saying that if we allow the Holy Spirit to intentionally space us and he gives us our gifts and he puts us in the right place, if we do our thing together, all of a sudden there is a musical sound that is being produced in the way we behave one another. It is not the sound of this person's exhortation gift or that person's preaching gift or that person's healing gift. No, when we come together, it is a musical sound that is on the scale of sincere love. A new sound is being, struck, is being played when we live in harmony with one another. Are we getting it? This is the goal. When he says, let love be sincere among you. Thank you very much. So how do we allow that sound, that sound of sincere love, the scale of sincere love, how do we allow it to be played? Because the alternative is noise when there is non-intentional spacing. When people are trying to put up themselves, put themselves forward with their own gifts above others, it is noise that is being produced. That is why Paul says, let me tell you one thing that can help bring noise. Verse 17, revenge. When you revenge, when you pay, when you repay evil for what? Evil. Noise is being produced. That's why he says, allow, later, we didn't read this one. Let vengeance, leave the vengeance to God. But let us be in the business of harmony. Let us be in the business of playing music. So he says, don't repay evil for evil. But do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Not, again, individualism coming. Not in the eyes of your own self. But in the eyes of what? Everyone. Guys, if we do this kind of thing, the sacrifice, whatever sacrifice you pay, will be worth it. Why? Because when the Spirit produces the music, He gives us not the sound of silence, as Simon and Garfunkel did, He gives us the sound of peace. 
And that's why he says, if that thing, if you think peace is worth it, then do what you can. As long as, as much as it depends on you to do it, to live at peace with everyone. Now, if that is the goal, remember, like with Gagin Preston, I said, you have to individually prepare. And if you individually prepare and you execute properly, there are rewards. This is the reward. A harmonious sound. A sound that is wonderful in the heavens, is wonderful among us, but it is terror in the kingdom of darkness. When we are united in harmony, we are God's battle axe to wage war against the domain of darkness. Are you following me? If that is the reward, then we must execute. Let's execute. How do we execute? One word. Generosity. Say it with me. Generosity. That is the way we execute. We have individually prepared. We know the goal that we are going for. But how do we execute the strategy? It is in what? Generosity. And it's generosity in three ways. In our, with our possessions, with our words, and with our time. Our possession, our words, and our time. Let's say it together. Possession, words, Thank you. I, I got stuck. Let's start with the first one. Possessions. Notice what he says again. He says, share, verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It's saying, be generous with your money and your space. This is church. Once the M word comes, everybody's, some people have already started holding their wallet or their smartphone. It's always tricky. It's always, one of the things I, I decided that when we were about to plant this church, I wanted to demystify money. Because in the Bible, it's demystified. Yeah, there are some people that you start talking about money, like, uh-huh, uh-huh, they want my money. Or for some people, it's, we need money, but we can't say anything. We just ask for prayers. You know that kind of, let's just be praying that God will help us in one way. There's one guy that used to write, one missionary guy that used to write me from Josh. Just, I just called to find out how you are doing. I said, okay, well, thank you. He said, yeah, how are you doing? I said, we're fine. He said, okay. He said, me and my family, we are doing very well. Thank God. I said, thank God. He said, we are doing so well. So well. The God has been faithful to us. We are doing so well. Pastor, well done, no? My family, we are doing so well. I mean, my children were sent away from school the other day. But God has been good to us. <laughs> He's been good to us. He's really well. So I just said I should call you to find out how you are. So the first time I got what was happening, I asked for his account number. I sent it. Second time, he did it again. So at, one, at that point, you know, I'm in Lagosia now, straight talking. I just said, brother, brother, see, you need money, right? You need money. I happen to have some money. Just ask. The Bible said, ask, and it shall be what? Given to you. I tried to coach him. I did everything. So eventually, I said, yeah, yeah. So I eventually gave him. Third time, the guy called, and he said, Pastor, how's your family? I said, this guy doesn't want to lie. <laughs> He did the whole thing again. He said, so please, in fact, he said something about the children. He said, be praying for us. I said, I'll be praying for you every day. <laughs> I will pray. I didn't send him anything so that he can learn. Next time, he sent me an email. He put all his needs. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to say, we need to demystify it. Paul here doesn't have the same kind of problems that we have. He says, share with the Lord's people. Listen, love, love is only demanding one thing. If you have it, you give it. Give it to those who are in need. Materially, that's what he talks about here. But we read the entire Bible, it's also spiritually. Why do you give to the church? You give to the church, yes, because there are people in need in the church materially. 
And people outside the church that are also in need. Our love is not just going to be for us here. It's going to be for others outside. That's why, you know, we, put a, we have a mercy ministry account, right? And even from the normal uh, donations that we give, we take percentage of it and we use for all of these things. Yes, because people are in need. But if you think people are in need materially, people are also in need spiritually. Listen, there are other organizations going out around in Lagos and everywhere that are meeting people's needs materially. Only the church is given to meet people's spiritual needs. Are you following me? So that's why we ask. Unashamedly, we would ask to meet the needs of the church. Yes, we fund our operations, but the only way we fund our operations are being funded so that we can continue our mission. If you have it, love demands that you give it. Now, some people say, I give, but they're still tripped up by their individualism because you say, I'm going to give, but I need to know exactly where. I want to only give to this. I'm not giving to that one. I want to give to the music. I want to give to the music team. Because the music team blesses me. This is your preaching. I'm not sure. <laughs> what is happening there? They've not given. They are trying to exercise control with their possession. And that's individualism. I'm not saying that you can't individually give to somebody. You should. Because this is how you demonstrate love, right? But... At the same time, if you are part of a community church, there is a place where we are called to trust the leadership of the church. I've often said this. If you don't want to give because you don't trust us, then you shouldn't be here. But if you are here and you are being blessed, then that means that there's something that God is doing there. So you, you put your trust in what God is doing. Let me show you a scripture in Acts chapter 2, verse 32. It says, it talks about a community, 32 first. It talks about a community that were together, the, the early church, right? They were together in Acts chapter 2, verse 32. It says they were of one heart, of one mind. That's what it says in verse 32. By the time you get to verse 33, this is what it says. It says God's, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no what? Needy persons among them. See, you see, no needy person. You say, why? Because people were giving to one another. Ah, this person had been given to one another. Mm, but that's not how it worked. For, time, from, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and they did what? They brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was then distributed to anyone that has what? The reason why you're not dropping is not because, let me tell you, the reason why you're not dropping, you don't trust us, but maybe you don't trust us because you like to always be in control. Don't let your individualism, what, trip you. God calls us to what? To be generous. In fact, the one John passage we read at the very beginning, where it says, don't just love in action, in words alone and speech, but love in action and in deeds. In the two verses before it, verse 16, uh, 17, uh, 16 and 17, put it up, 1 John 3, 16 and 17. It says this, this is how God demonstrated his love towards us. This is how God demonstrated love towards us. He what? He, 17 and 18. These people are tripping me up. 16 to 17. He gave what? His son, Jesus Christ, he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our life for our brother. So if anyone has material possessions, this is what he did. He moved from the gospel to our generosity. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need, but has no pity on them, what should he do? What can we, what can we question? How can the word? It's not me, it's John that said it. If you are not generous, you should question whether you're a Christian. John said it. 
That's what we mean about being gospel-centered. We look at the gospel to shape our ethic, isn't it? God, it is a gospel issue. Your wallet is a gospel issue. Serious. Now, but some of us, we like to give money. We are okay to give money. But we use money as a way to distance ourselves from people. So he says what? Practice hospitality. Don't just be generous with your wallet. Be generous with your space. For some of us, eh? Somebody will come to my house. I don't know. They bring sand and mud. They don't know how to dust themselves. That's, did you hear this way this person was shouting? My neighbors will be thinking, what kind of bush people came? You are so concerned about how they'll come here. They will now come or they will now enter the fridge. They will now go and start taking what they shouldn't be taking. We are so tripped up about, but it is important. And you say, is that, okay, I can understand how this one is a gospel issue, but hospitality, gospel issue, is because of some of you that one lady, her name is Rosaria Butterfield, she wrote a book for you. She said, the gospel comes with a house key. Buy the book. It will help you. Open up your space. You know why? Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 tells the, uh, 13, I think, uh, I can't remember the verses now, but he tells the Corinthians, he says, open up your heart to us. Why? Because we've opened up our hearts to you. Do you know what hospitality is? It is opening up your space as a demonstration that your heart has been opened. Open up your house. Why? Because you've opened up your heart to people. Amen. Now, by this, I'm not saying everybody should come to my house. <laughs> Kyle, come to my house. But let us be generous with our possessions, that is our money and our space. Second one, words. 12, 14 says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. <laughs> we underestimate the power or an importance of words. Guys, what is this text saying? Even when you are unfairly and unjustly accused, we are to bless and not curse. Yes, bless when you are blessed, but you are to bless even when you are And you say, ah, that doesn't make sense. No, James says it doesn't make sense for you to curse. Look at what he says in James chapter 3. He says, with, with it we bless, this is our mouth, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we Curse people who are made in likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, finish it. Oh, make sense. Does spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? It should not. He's saying it's an issue of identity. Let me break it down for you. This is what he's saying. It is only accursed people that curse. Are you cursed? It is only across people that curse. You bring forth what is inside you. So when that person provokes you, you're like, ah, thunder. <laughs> because it's inside. But it's only across people that curse. But if you are truly blessed, because one definition of a Christian is someone who is blessed with all spiritual blessings where in heavenly places. If that is truly who you are, you cannot but bless. God told Abraham, I will make you, I will bless you and make you what? A blessing. He didn't tell Abraham, go and curse. He said, those who curse you, I will curse them. But you, you are meant to be a blessing. Your identity is to be, to, is to be a blessed one. So you all, the only thing that comes out of you is what? Blessing. May God release our mouths to bless. Amen. Because you see, the thing about this stuff is this. It's our identity. So that when somebody provokes you, you just be like, ah, I want to. But it's blessing that comes out. 
And this helps us in community because Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, look, if somebody comes to you with a harsh word, if you pay evil for evil back, it will disintegrate community. But if you put a gentle answer, what does it do to that other person? But a harsh word in retaliation, it does what? Stirs up anger. May the Lord make us a people who bless with our mouths and not curse. Because this is a sign of generosity. And you say, why is it? How do we know it's a sign of generosity? Ah, you don't know. You say, generosity, I can understand giving to people materially. But how is this one a sign of generosity? Listen, in that Acts uh, place that we read, they said people had need, isn't it? They gave to people that had need. Do you know that people are not just in need of your possessions? They are in need of your words. We have needs. I'll show you. Let me show you how. Ephesians 4 verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But what is helpful for building others up according to what? Their needs that he may benefit those who listen. Listen, there are people in this church eh, have never given me any possession, any gift. They've never given me anything. Because they don't have much. But when I read their text message, hey God, the way they will bless you just with the words of their mouth, there's something that it does to me. This text is telling you that our lives are like a building construction project. And we don't have all the materials. We can't afford all the materials to build our lives up. So we need more materials. What are the materials? It is the words of other people. And many of us have it in abundance. Can you help somebody build up their own life with your words? Tell the person who is in a low estate, you know what, you can do it. Tell the person who has just got fired, we are here with you. Tell the person who is going through some kind of suffering, God has not left you. Let us build each other up with blessings and words that edify one another. Are we together? This is how we must be generous with our words. And the final one, generous with our time. Generous with our time. Time is an expensive commodity. When I was writing this thing, I won't lie. I like this one. This is the one I struggle with. It's hard to give up. But the truth is this. We can't really say we're a community if we don't spend time with each other. You can't. We need to know each other. We need to bless each other, yes. But it comes in time. It comes what? In time. Guys, generosity, generosity, generosity says it's not just that you will show up on my bank statement. It is that you command real estate on my calendar schedule. You also appear there that I give time for this person. We have to be intentional with it. Whether you have to plan it or something, don't just plan for all your business meetings. Plan for the community of God's people. Take people out. Just go and talk. All the things that we have to do have to be done in time. But there's one ingredient, if we're going to be generous with our time, that's so important for us as a church. If I don't feel like I have a right to your time, and vice versa, I can't, de- I can't demand it, and you can't demand of my time. Are you following me? If I don't feel, if I'm not sure where we stand, then I can't really demand. This is why we have to have a formal relationship. If my wife and I, if we didn't sign on dotted lines, we just said we like each other, we go out together. You should know now, you know, I know, you know, I know. 
Then one day, ah, I'm now seeing now just talking with one guy and going. I said, where, where are you going now? How are you going? Why are you speaking with that guy? He's like, ah, ah. Oh, guy, you didn't put a ring on it. Too. You didn't sign. Are you understanding where I'm going? This is why. This is why in this church we ask for, we ask to do church membership. I've, look, I've been in many scenarios, situations. This person is supposedly with us in this church. The moment Katakata boss, the moment you have to keep them accountable, they've gone. I don't really know. And it's not just about accountability. We are all members of the global church, yes, but we should be members of a local church. That's why we have a formal membership process. It's not about paper. I remember years back when I was in one church and they wanted to do that. I just said, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I said, our, the Bible says that our names are written in heaven. I don't have to write it anywhere here. I need to go and meet the pastors of those church. <laughs> they will be laughing at me now. But it's true. I'm not saying that formal, the, you know, the way we do it here is the way it's said in the Bible. But I'm saying there was a way to know that this person is here and this person is not there. So I can only really be generous in my time with those who have decided that they want to be formally connected to me in community. Amen? So please, I want to ask. Church membership is going to come up very soon. Sign up if you have not been one. But also, our gospel communities as well. Be a member of a gospel community. Sunday is wonderful, as we are like this. It's wonderful. But what we do on Sunday is that together we commune with God, not with ourselves. Together we are communing with God, we are not communing ourselves. Sunday we meet in this hall, but we commune with each other in our gospel communities and in our homes. Are we together? So let's be generous with our time as well. Let me quickly end. Time has gone. But final point. Demonstrating love, possessing love, not everlasting love. Some are saying, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait. This thing, uh, all of these things you are demanding from me, this is, this is insane. This is ridiculous. I should give all of these things over and over again. What intrusiveness. What entitlement. Why are you making it seem like I owe people in church something? Uh, I'm very happy you said that. <laughs> I'm very happy you used that word. You know why? Because you do, in fact, owe people in church something. You owe a debt. You're a debtor. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a debtor. <laughs> Turn to the other neighbor and say, "Bese on your head. <laughs> now, you think I'm lying. Let me quickly, Paul, 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 let me, Paul says, Paul doesn't want us to be irresponsible people. He said, let no debt, verse 8, uh, chapter 13, let no debt remain outstanding among you. So Paul does not want Christians to be debtors all over the place. He doesn't want us to be borrowing money and not paying back. If you keep borrowing money and not paying back, don't be surprised that out of the devotion of our love in this church, people don't loan you money again. And don't be surprised that out of the devotion of our love, we start telling people not to owe you, uh, lend you money. That's Paul. Well, Ted, Ted, I don't understand. Stop calling names. But I may digress. Paul doesn't want us to be those kinds of people. And yet, Paul makes one exception. He said there is one exception. You must, this one, or you must be, your base must be big. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except, one exception, what is the continuing debt to love one another. He says it's a debt that continues. You can't finish paying it. 
But you have to keep paying it. You will keep paying. You say, but I don't, I don't owe anybody anything. See, that guy that did me a favor, I returned the favor. I don't owe him. That sister, she did me one favor. I've given her five. You're making it seem as though I owe people in this church. No, this church is the one that owes me. Uncle, you owe us. And you must pay. And you keep paying. And you say, yes. And the thing is vexing me. It's poor. And let me explain. Let me illustrate. Maybe you understand this way. Maybe you understand. Permit me if I'm touching, I'm touching on a sensitive subject, but I can say, in general, I can cover most people in this. And I know some of us, um, we've lost maybe a mom recently or not, or some of us have lost a mom a long time ago. But how many of us, let me ask this question, how many of us can really repay our mothers for all they've done for us? Think. You may not have the best mother in the world, but when you think about, now you're mature, because as a child, we always just think about the terrible things they do to us. Now you are grown. Some of you have become mothers. How many of you can repay your mother for everything that they've done for you? Think well. Maybe I can use a popular old Yoruba song to help you. Yeah, Again, Oh, for don't worry, Mother's Day is coming. It's not Mother's Day. But for those who are not Yoruba, this is what this is the translation. It says, Mother, you are like the authentic precious gold that money cannot buy. You carried me in your womb for nine months. You nurtured me in your hands for three years. Mother. You are like the authentic precious gold that money cannot buy. How much do you owe your mother? How much can you pay her back for all that she's done for you? Let me tell you, if you decide, okay, yes, she has really, she's really done a lot for me. Okay, so let me go and meet my mom and say, mommy, for all those things that you've done for me, can you do an accounting? Put it all together and tell me how much I owe you. Then I'll start some kind of monthly payment to pay it, pay it all. I can imagine if I went and told my mother that. You know what my mother would do? She would give me an authentic precious slap that money can never buy back. <laughs> Why? Because the debt is so enormous. But I know that my mother would say one thing. She said, you really appreciate all that I've done for you. You really appreciate the love that I've given to you, right? Because I spent my life to do all of these things for you. If you really appreciate it and you know you cannot pay back, I only ask one thing for you to do. Pay forward. Pay it forward. Pay it to your siblings. Love them like I've loved you. Pay it to your children. Love them. Pay it forward to who? 
pay it forward to the family that I have built in my own family. Oh, somebody is not catching what I am saying. Listen, there is a debt that we owe to God that we can never pay back. Because God has so generously given to us in a way that we will never be able to pay back. You see, whilst your mother may have spent her life for you, God gave his only son who lost his life for you. You cannot pay that back. Whilst your mother, some of you, maybe your mother died at childbirth so that you could live. That is a fantastic picture, but that did not secure eternal life for you. When Jesus died, it was so that you could live forevermore. God, we owe God a debt that we can never pay back. So what can we do with this debt? God looks at us and said, there's only one thing I want you to do. Pay it forward. Paid forward to who? To the family that I have built. You see, whenever you get into a situation where you think, I don't have much more to be able to give to this community, slap your head, jump up, reset your mind, and say this, pay it forward. Maybe you get into a situation where you want to retaliate with words because somebody has just hurt you. You know what you should do? Before you say anything, soothe yourself. Think again and say what? Paid forward. Maybe you get into a time where you say, I cannot give more of my precious time. Remember, pay forward. I cannot give more money again. Remember, pay forward. I cannot host more people again. Remember, do what? Pay forward. Why? Because we have a debt, an outstanding debt to God that we are meant to pay forward. Don't do it because of them. Do it because of what Christ has done in you. See the church? If we are the kind of church that continuously meditates on the love of, the of Christ in the gospel, then we will be able to pay it forward, to let love be sincere among us, to make sure that we are united, and then we can accomplish the mission and the purpose that God has brought for us. If you do believe that, let's rise to our feet. Thank you for listening to the gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus Love people Love Lagos